Um, as Kyung mentioned, uh, I am one of the elders here, and um, I, it really is a joy and honor to be up here and a privilege uh, to teach this morning. Uh, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Kira, for almost 10 years this October. Um, thank you. Uh, we've, we've had uh, three sons. Uh, our eldest was Oliver. We call, uh, we call him Opie. And, you know, he, he passed away five years ago and really is a big uh, part of our story and uh, really the lens we look through when we uh, share what God has done in our life. Um, and then we have Remy, who's in the middle. He's turning five. And uh, lastly, little Sebastian, who's two. Um, you know, we've called Park home since 2010 and then joined uh, Park South Loop during its launch in 2016, and that was Easter. Um, Kira and I are, are architects. We love the city. We love the South Loop. Um, we call, feel called to the city. We, we've been here for almost 15 years, and uh, we love this church. And if we haven't met you, we look forward to meeting you. So today we're going to continue on our Great Stories sermon series, um, and we're going to look into the life of Job. Now, the book of Job is not a short book. It's 42 chapters long, and within it is much to be mined and applied about suffering and how to uh, respond to suffering. And so we'll focus on an extraordinary man who suffered immensely yet remained faithful. And despite uh, the seemingly impossible trials, Job points us to the ultimate suffering servant and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So let's begin with a, a brief overview of life uh, of the life of Job. You know, his life was incredibly fascinating, a tale of righteousness, prosperity, suffering, questioning, wrestling, um, friendship, and ultimately uh, restoration. Writing the first chapter, the first paragraph, it says, Job was a man of great wealth and righteousness. He was blessed with abundant possessions. You know, they listed, you know, 11,000 livestock, a lovely family, a wife, seven sons, and three daughters, and an admiration of his community. Job's righteousness and prosperity had long been acknowledged and admired. He was a man of incredible integrity and deeply devoted to God, and he was blessed with abundance. However, this prosperity caught the attention of Satan, who was in verse 7 of the first chapter, going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down it. This visual of Satan is further rounded out in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And it serves as a reminder for us. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, Satan saw Job and challenged Job's righteousness and called out that his devotion to God was merely a result of his privileged and abundant life. Satan believed that if Job were to suffer, he would abandon his faith. So in response to this challenge in verse 12, God permitted Satan to test Job's faith and afflict him with tremendous suffering. This plays out as if Satan has control, um, but really it's God allowing Satan to test Job to perfect Job's love for God and therefore bring about a greater good. And in the process... Job never abandons, God never abandons Job, but draws him closer through his suffering. 
And we see this in the New Testament uh, a, a few times. And, and Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 16, verse 24, whoever wants to be my follower must renounce himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Paul also reassures us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And similarly, God the Father permits his righteous son, Jesus, to endure the suffering on the cross and yet brings about the greater good of humanity's redemption. And we'll, we'll expand on that later. So on the first, first seven verses, two paragraphs into the book of Job, Job's life quickly crumbles as he lost all his wealth, all his children, and his health was lost as well as he was struck with open sores from head to toe. His once joyful existence turned into ashes, leaving him devastated and questioning the very nature of his own existence and his relationship with God. So in chapter 3, Job laments. He cries out in anguish to the, uh, to the heavens. He's questioning the fairness of his suffering. He's seeking answers to the purpose of his suffering. Job even curses his own birth and his existence. But he does not curse God. From chapter 4 to 37, Job dialogues at length with his friends, back and forth, back and forth, which takes up a massive portion of Job. It, but in it, it captures the complexity of human suffering and the struggle to comprehend God's ways. Job passionately argued for his innocence and defending his righteousness. And this was in the face of overwhelming adversity and accusations from his so-called friends. And within these chapters are um, also incredible insight and advice in how to care and care well as a friend to those who are suffering, as well as an example not to care well. Job's friends, as soon as they heard of the loss of his family and livelihood, came alongside him from far away and just sat with him, saying nothing, just being present and showing compassion. This act is where the Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva comes from. When Opie passed away, I remember in particular my good friend from college, um, as soon as he found out, he asked if we wanted company. Um, I told him, it's okay, you know, they have three young kids, you know, his wife's pregnant with their fourth and they live four hours away. And he said, thank you for reaching out and, um, you know, checking in. But he and his wife insisted, and within hours they found someone to watch the three kids and left and drove to be with Kira and I, to sit there in it, grieving with us and alongside us. Now Job's friends, soon after they sat and grieved with Job, as Job's suffering prolonged, his friends quickly turned to reasoning, accusing and explaining why God was punishing Job for something sinful. They were trying to provide an explanation, a solution to justify and to understand God's will, when the most helpful thing at the time was probably to be present, listen, and intercede and grieve with Job. In chapter 38 to 41, Job encounters God, and it serves as a pivotal moment of revelation and restoration. Uh, God appeared to Job in a literal whirlwind um, and declared his sovereignty over all of creation and really paints a, a really majestic picture of God's majesty. And through this encounter, Job was humbled and gained a deeper understanding of God's infinite wisdom and power. He realized that his suffering was beyond his limited comprehension and that he had questioned things too marvelous 
for him to grasp. They moved him to trust in God's sovereignty and providence. And ultimately, in chapter 42, God not only restored Job's physical health, but blessed him with uh, greater prosperity than before and affirming his righteousness of his character. Job's faith remains unbroken throughout his ordeal, improving Satan's challenge to be useless. In the face of unimaginable suffering, Job had clung to his trust in God, ultimately emerging with a profound sense of awe and renewed faith. Now, all that just gives you a, a sort of glimpse of Job's life and overview, um, but Job is not meant to give us a specific reason for suffering, but points us to the person who suffered perfectly on our behalf. So uh, up on the screen, you'll see five uh, kind of quick parallels between Job and Jesus. So the first one, Job's innocence and Jesus as the sinless son of God. In the first chapter, in the first verse, blameless and upright, feared God and turned away from evil. He served as a model of innocence and he demonstrated a righteousness, but not a perfect righteousness. And Jesus, the son of God, he was perfectly righteous. He was sinless and blameless, leading a life without any wrongdoing. He lived a perfect and spotless life, free from the stain of sin. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The second parallel, Job's undeserved suffering and Jesus' substitute in sacrifice. Job experienced immense suffering, um, losing his children, his wealth, and his health. And despite his innocence, he was afflicted by a tragic circumstance and circumstances that seemed unjust. And Jesus, though sinless, willingly took upon himself the sins of all humanity, becoming the ultimate sacrificial lamb. He bore the weight of our sins on the cross, suffering and dying for all mankind. So in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The third parallel, Job's, Job's intercessory role and Jesus as our high priest. Through the book of Job, specifically in the dialogue with his friends from chapter 4 through 32, he intercedes on behalf of his friends, seeking God's forgiveness for their misguided words. He acted as an advocate for those who had wronged him. And Jesus, as our high priest, intercedes on our behalf before the Father, continuously making intercession for his followers. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make an intercession for them. Now, Jesus stands as the bridge between man and God, mediating our relationship and pleading for our forgiveness. The fourth parallel, Job's longing for a mediator and Jesus as the ultimate mediator. Amidst Job's suffering, he yearned for a mediator who could reconcile him with God. He desired someone who could understand his anguish and act as an intermediary between him and God. 
And he says in Job 9, 32 to 33, for he, that's God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. And then comes Jesus as the mediator between God and man. He fulfills this role perfectly, and he understands our human struggles and suffering. And he serves as the link between a holy God and sinful humanity. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. And that man is Christ Jesus. And lastly, uh, Job's restoration and Jesus' victory over sin and death. In chapter 42, God restores Job's earthly fortunes, blessing him with twice as much as he had before. The restoration symbolizes God's faithfulness and the triumph of righteousness. And ultimately, through his resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and death, offering the promise of eternal life to all who believe in him, and he emerged victoriously. So in 1 Corinthians, like we just read through our study, chapter 15, verse 55 to 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now those five parallels begin to uh, connect Job and the work of Jesus. They also serve as a testament to God's faithfulness. And so let's look at three redemptive themes in Job that foreshadow the work of Jesus. The first is the role of faith and trust in the midst of trials. Throughout Job's suffering, he maintains an unwavering faith and trust in God. Despite the overwhelming loss and pain, Job refuses to curse God or abandon his belief in God's justice. His faith is tested severely, yet he clings to the hope that there is a meaning and purpose to his suffering. It's so exemplary that later in the book of James, uh, chapter 5, verse 11, James writes to the early church, encouraging them and reminding them of Job's steadfastness and patience in suffering. The book of Job reminds us to embrace faith even when circumstances seem dire. It reminds us that true faith is not contingent upon an immediate relief or understanding. Job's steady trust in God serves an inspiration for us navigating our own trials, encouraging us to hold on to faith even in the absence of clear answers. It's this faith and hope that Kira and I clung to when our son Opie passed away. Suddenly, five years ago, he was turning three and Remy was six months, uh, Kira was six months pregnant with Remy. You know, we had no clear answers, even though we sought it. Medically, clinically, genetically, we wrestled spiritually. And now five years passed, um, although it's brought our family closer and eternally, more eternally minded, we still have no absolute clear answers. But we trust God, he had his timing and his good purpose. And we understand now we may never know all that he has done or will do on this side of heaven through these tragedies and sufferings. But we hold on to faith that he is who he says he is, and that is our hope. The second redemptive theme, hope of restoration and res resurrection. 
In the depths of Job's suffering, he expresses a longing for restoration and redemption. He yearns for a mediator who can intercede on his behalf, someone who can bridge the void between his brokenness and God's justice. Job's plea for a redeemer anticipates the hope of future restoration. And Job's hope resonates with us who have experienced suffering and long for a renewal. It emphasizes that suffering is not the end of the story and that restoration and redemption are possible through Christ. It's this restoration that Kira and I often talk about with our two younger boys, Remy and Sebastian. The restoration of our family when we are reunited with Christ and the restoration of our family when we're reunited with Opie. And it's the same restoration that those that suffer from long-standing illnesses or similarly deep losses hope in when we put our faith in Christ. We have hope in our life eternal, and we know that this life, as in James chapter 4, verse 14, is but a vapor. It is here, and it vanishes away. Kira and I repeatedly meditated and prayed over these truths, that our God-given time, long or short, here on earth, compared to eternity would make no difference at all. And we long to be reunited again with our dear Opie in the new heaven and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. As Revelations chapter 21, 4 states, he will wipe every tear away from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It's this same hope and restoration through the resurrection that we share the work of Christ. And finally, while the book of Job predates the earthly ministry of Jesus, it contains a shuttle foreshadowing of his redemptive work. Job's suffering and longing for a mediator amplifies the need for a savior who would eventually come to reconcile all of humanity. Job's words echo the longing of all humanity for a redeemer who can bring true healing and restoration. And the suffering of Job finds its ultimate resolution in, in the redemptive work of Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is the one to offer hope of reconciliation, forgiveness, and eternal life. And Job's story points towards the profound significance of Christ's redemptive work as it addresses the challenge of human suffering and providing ultimate hope. And it's through this ultimate hope that Kira and I, and God willing, eventually Remy and Sebastian cling to. For without Christ's redemptive work, we all deserve death. Death would and should be the end of everyone's story. Jesus took on all sin and death and was victorious. We no longer look at death as the end of the road, but the beginning of eternity. Now, as we wrap, there's four takeaways for reflection. The first one is embracing faith in the midst of suffering. Now, suffering is not a matter of if, but when. And how we respond begins with how we believe. Job, a man of unwavering faith, experienced this loss of everything he held dear. Despite his immense suffering, Job clung to his faith and refused to curse God. Job's steadfast trust in God enabled him to endure the trials. And in the end, he was blessed even more abundantly than before. At the same time, even if we do not see Job's restoration on this side of heaven, 
we respond with Job's steadfast trust through the suffering. His example encourages us to trust in God's plan, even when the circumstances seem bleak. And Jesus, the Son of God and our Savior, willingly endured immense suffering, including rejection, betrayal, and crucifixion. He faithfully embraced his mission to redeem humanity and willingly sacrificed himself for the forgiveness of our sins. His act of selflessness teaches us the power of faith and sacrifice, reminding us that in our darkest moments, God is present and his purposes prevail. The second application or takeaway, seeking reconciliation and forgiveness. Job's journey also highlights the importance of seeking reconciliation. Despite the initial resentment and misunderstanding between Job and his friends, they eventually reached the point of reconciliation. Job chose forgiveness over bitterness, and he extended grace to his friends. This act of forgiveness brought about restoration and healing and emphasizes the power of reconciliation. And Jesus, he embodied forgiveness and reconciliation through his own ministry. He forgave those who persecuted him, including the Roman soldiers who crucified him, the disciples who abandoned him. Jesus' ultimate act of reconciliation was his sacrifice on the cross, offering forgiveness and salvation to all who believe in him. His example encourages us to seek forgiveness and extend grace to others and putting forward unity and healing in all our relationships. The third takeaway, finding comfort and strength in Jesus. Job's suffering left him emotionally and physically drained, yet he found comfort in the strength of God. Despite his deep lamenting and wrestling, questioning and Job acknowledged God's sovereignty and found comfort in his presence. And through his trials, Job discovered the peace that surpasses understanding, the understanding that God's strength would sustain him. Likewise, Jesus promised us the strength and comfort through the Holy Spirit. He assured us that we would not be left alone. He would give us an advocate and helper, the spirit of truth to guide and empower us. And Jesus' words continue to bring comfort and assurance to those who seek refuge in him, reminding us that even in the midst of our darkest moments, we can find comfort and strength in the loving arms of Jesus. And the last uh, takeaway, trusting in God's sovereignty, providence, and wisdom. Job's story ultimately centers on the theme of trusting in God's sovereignty. Despite not comprehending the reasons behind his suffering, Job chose to trust in God's goodness and wisdom. Jesus also exemplified trust in God's, his Father's sovereignty and wisdom. He submitted himself to his Father's will, trusting that his sacrifice would bring redemption salvation to all of humanity. And Jesus' resurrection showcased God's ultimate triumph over sin and death. 
Now, since Opie's death five years ago, I've, I've wrestled but slowly and increasingly emerged to understand more and more of God's sovereignty and providence. God's sovereignty that, God's sovereignty that he is the ruler with absolute power. He made all things and can do all things. And none of it is in my control or in our control. Yet God's providence is that he has a deeply caring provision for us, for his people. He guides us in our journey of faith through all of life, the ups and the downs. God's mission is to save people and shape them to be more like Jesus. And if that means our God-given lifetime steadily building up Job-like steadfast trust and faith and resting in the knowledge that we may never fully understand on this side of heaven, then we rest and realize Jesus is enough. His act of redemption is certainly enough. His promise and our hope of eternity and restoration certainly is enough. So with that, um, let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. You are sovereign and providential. Thank you for your ultimate plan to save us and restore us through your death and resurrection of your son. God, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the example of Job for steadfast, steadfast faith and trust. God, would your word filter throughout our lives we depend heavily on the Holy Spirit. All this for your glory and your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.